Hey, everybody, what's up? It's your boy, MJ. Hey, man, I'm excited to announce a great community and platform that I've been working with called Rare Liquid. Uh, you know, a couple months ago, I was at an incredible event in Paso Robles with the Rare Liquid team and their founding artist and producer, Turtle Rock Vineyards. Uh, you might remember this was my number one wine from 2021, my famous Blackberry Cobbler a la mode motherfucker. Uh, Rare Liquid is really cool. They're building a network of artists and producers, collectors, and storage providers to solve the provenance problem for the rare wine and spirit industry. Members get access to verified limited edition drops from elite producers and can frictionlessly share, trade, gift, and monetize their collections. While for the first time in history, artists and producers can earn a royalty payment every time their bottles trade on the platform. Rare Liquid is expanding to 560 members through their invite-only Founders Club drop. You can check it out at rareliquid.club, which I'll put in the show notes. Uh, Rare Liquid has given me a limited number of membership invitations. If you're interested in an invitation and learning more, hit me up on Instagram at MJTaller, or you can just send an email to blackwineguy at gmail.com. Hey, I'm MJ Taller, also known as a Black Wine Guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey everybody, what's up? It's your boy MJ. Welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is the co-owner and head wine grower at Melville Vineyards, Chad Melville. Chad and his brother Brent planted Melville Vineyards together in 1997. The Melville brothers are OGs of the Santa Rita Hills, having planted their vineyards before the appellation received its AVA status. Because of his relentless commitment to winemaking practices that honor tradition and the land, Chad has received Great critical acclaim for his wines. And as a wine grower, Chad understands the magical evolution each bottle of wine undertakes from vine to glass. Welcome, Chad. Thank you. It's good hey, to man, be here. Th- thanks for coming in. Uh, tell everybody about the wines you brought this afternoon. Um, I brought these uh, brand new releases. So um, we are into the 2021 Terraces and 2021 Block M Pinot Noirs. All right, man. And Block N is this is all, and you're all, Melville, we'll get into a bit. Mother's all state fruit, right? Mm-hmm, 100%. Nice, right on. So pour some in that glass, brother. <laughs> um, so I always like to start at the beginning. Um, where'd you grow up, man? I grew up in uh, Laguna Beach, Southern California. Ooh. I was lucky, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, it's, I mean, honestly, one of the most beautiful places on earth. I think I'm biased, but... Um, but uh, yeah, lucky to grow up there, um, and uh, um, went to high school actually up in um, Carmel, so Central Coast, and um, and then I went to college in LA. Okay, so Laguna Beach. Um, how long did you live there? I was born in uh, Pasadena, and yep. then moved to Laguna when I was like nine months or something. Okay, like um, but uh, I grew up there. I mean. 
You know, because I went away for high school. I went to a, okay, so, a prep school. Okay, you went away to high school. Yeah, so, yeah. so tell everybody about Laguna because my Laguna um, at one point was definitely an artist enclave, and I know there's still a lot of artists there. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, the high school was the Laguna Beach Artists. <laughs> oh, my God. Really, that's that. <laughs> People weren't really think too we got made fun of? Yeah. <laughs> but not only that, but I mean, they changed it, like, whatever, 20 years ago or something. But, yeah, no, it's, it's a full-on artsy town, no doubt. Yeah. And, you know, even back then – so this is whatever the '70s. You know, the mayor was gay, and that was a huge thing. Yeah, yeah. that was like, that was like groundbreaking stuff. That's kind of and and um, like, how did you end up there? Like, how did your parents end up there? You said you were born in Pasadena. I, you smell that? I, I'm smelling them, I and it's it's really intense. I mean, it's beautifully intense. Yeah. It's got that lifted rose petally. Um, what was the question? Yeah, it's like. Um, <laughs> You were born in Pasadena. How did your parents move to have oh. to move to Laguna Beach? You know, we had some. Uh, well, they had some friends that there's like a an interesting like San San Marino um, Laguna Beach connection. Okay, and um, that's my dad grew up in San Marino. Mm -hmm. Went to San Marino High, mm -hmm. um, so I think that that's kind of what brought him down there often. Mm -hmm. And uh, he just made a decision back then to move there and. Um, you know, it was really, it's interesting when I go back now, and just like you would expect, that like it, there's a, like things have changed, you know, dramatically. But what hasn't changed is really that, like the smell, like the feeling of the sun on your skin, like the fog, the eucalyptus, like all, like the ocean air, mm -hmm. like all that is the same, right? Yeah, and yeah. when I go back there, it just calms me down. It brings me back home, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. Um, what did your parents do? Uh, my dad, uh, he had, he was, he was, He's very driven. Um, back when he was whatever, early 20s, um, he got a job working for, uh, like, I want to say Charles Schwab, but I don't, I, or Merrill Lynch or something like that. But yep. he fell in love with, with that finance. industry. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah. And, and specifically, um, you know, in the, in the stock market, there's market makers, right? And yep. so he was on the floor, and he was uh, a stock specialist. So he had a group of stocks that he... Um, was assigned to essentially that then he would set the buy and sell price and and so he he was you know like for his brain like that clicked it made a lot of sense and he was lucky because he fell in love with that early you know and he saw a path and he took it and he's a disciplined hardworking um, man who who just he found what he loved to do early you know that's really cool I think <clears throat> so I speak for myself here but if you're like me, it takes you a while to figure out what you want to do in life. And, and I think it's really, no matter what you do, it's powerful discovering that early, right? And it's even more powerful when there's a lot of money can be made and you genuinely <laughs> love it and it clicks, yeah. you know what I mean? Because yeah. there's a lot of people who go do it and with an intention of getting out. I'm just going to, you know. Yeah. But I love what you said. Like, it just worked for his brain. Yeah. Like, it. Maybe it's not for everybody. Yep. You know, he was driven by money, or is. I mean, like, that's his motivation, you know? People have different motivations. And yeah, and I find that interesting. Yeah. You know, money is a very interesting topic. And, uh, like, people have a money, what's the word? A money consciousness, a money barometer, mm -hmm. and, and there's no right or wrong. But, I, you know, I, was, I wish I had more of that money focus sometimes, you know what I mean? So I, I admire people who like it just clicks. So that's cool. What yeah. about your um what about your mom? What did she do? Uh she passed away like six years ago. She so was a pianist, you know. I mean she taught piano, she played piano. 
Um, she was really um, the mom. I mean, that's it's funny. Uh, she, you know, she would say that all the time. Like her number one job was being a mom, and she was a great mom. Yeah, that's yeah. a it's a full time gig. I mean, I got two kids myself. You know, right? I yeah. mean, it's like uh, yep. it's it's. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I will never win Dad of the Year. Um, but my mom, same thing. My mom I had. I had the best mom in the world. Oh, good. I just, she was the best. Yeah. She passed away four years ago. And, uh, but you know, she stayed at home till I was like in seventh grade or something. Mm. Um, and even after then, like I tell people, I don't know if I said the part, I went to school from K through five, from, from K through 12, hot breakfast every day, hot breakfast every day. She got made me breakfast. Like it was crazy. Like I didn't, through I didn't realize senior year high school through senior. That's like, awesome. like I didn't realize what did you do your freshman year in college? Did you just like, Oh, I went to the bagel shop, <laughs> <laughs> got to, I, I ran track. So I would, I would get, I was so skinny. I was so skinny back then. Um, two cinnamon raisin bagels and a coffee. Oh, so you figured it out. Cheese. Yeah. I figured it out. Do you have um, brothers and sisters? I'm, I have one. Well, I had an older sister. I had one sibling. Yeah. She passed away two years ago. Was she um, close in age? So like she, she was three years older. She was three years older. So your mom made. She was in the whole breakfast thing in the morning too. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Um, God damn. Yeah, it's been two years. Uh, how about you? You have siblings? I have an older brother. Yes, and um, uh, is that Brent? That's Brent. Okay. Yeah. Yep. He's my big bro. Um, yeah. He, uh, you know, is it great. I mean, we were rivals, right? I mean, he's two and a half years older. Yeah. And I've been probably to, you know, growing up to the emergency room, like, I don't know, seven or eight times, you know? Um, oh, that's gnarly. That. Well, hey, I got him too, though. I mean, he's, I don't know the number, have, you know, visits to the emergency room, but, but we love each other. I mean, like, it, it's, it was great. Like, he, he really paved, you know, I think just by virtue of being the eldest, mm -hmm. you know, you kind of paved the way, you know, and um, he always protected me and, you know. So what were you guys doing? Were you guys BMX biking around, uh, surfing? When you, you know what, what was kind of like life activities as kids? Yeah, as kids. Yeah, uh, we were very active in sports. So I mean, soccer was big, um, uh, baseball, uh, football for me. Um, early on, um, I remember begging my parents to play um, Pop Warner in fifth grade. You know, uh, finally they let me in fifth grade, but um, I think that. There was always something. I mean, we were very active. And then when we weren't doing like a organized sport, yeah, beach, you know, because that, I mean, I grew up in the ocean, you know, mm -hmm. I love the ocean. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just what you did. Mm -hmm. You skateboarded, you know, rode your bike to the beach. Um, so that, yeah, it was very active, you know, very, and my dad was, you know, he, he helped a lot with like coaching soccer teams and baseball, whatever. Yeah. yeah. So, you said you went off to high school up in Carmel, North, North Central yeah. Coast, Carmel. Where'd you go to school? What's the name of school? Robert Louis Stevenson. Okay. You know it? No, I know Robert Louis Stevenson, yeah, yeah. but I didn't know that there was a school. So tell me about that. So, I mean, because like I'm from the East Coast, so we got the prep. We think we have the preps. Yeah, we, yeah. we got your choats yeah. and, you know, you know, all those types. Totally. Of, yeah. It's definitely a West Coast, yeah. but it has a lot of similarities to I'm the choats. Sure. It's you know? the same. Yeah. On one level, the 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 uh, boarding school culture is going to be the same, right? Yeah, essentially, right? Yeah, there's only it's just like the NFL. There's only so many people getting jobs at boarding schools as professors. Like, yeah. and those are usually people who went to like an Ivy League or a Stanford, Fair, or, yeah, you know, totally. very, you know, UCLA, like very yeah. high academic yeah. standards for yeah. those schools. So, 
was that a parental choice? Or? <laughs> uh, well, it was. It was a parental opportunity. You okay. know, I mean, the the short version is my parents got divorced when I was in fifth grade, okay. sixth grade. Um, and they, it was a, you know, pretty gnarly situation. They just went after each other all the time. And so uh, my older brother, when it came time to, um, graduate eighth grade, my dad, you know, said, Hey, you want to, you want to go away? You want to get out of this scene, you know, uh, or whatever the, the conversation was. Um, and my brother was like, yeah. And so he went first and then he actually went here or not here, but, um, back East. And then uh, when it was my turn, I was like, yeah, I want to, too, you know, because I saw how much fun my, my brother was having. I mean, he really blossomed, too, right? It was, I, I'm, again, super lucky, yeah. you know, yep. and um, very appreciative of having these opportunities. And, um, you know, when my dad said, do you want to go? I was like, yeah, but, like, you know, so what are the options on the West Coast, you know? And there's not that many, yeah. really. Yeah. I mean, so when you say, there, like, there's a culture of boarding school, and I agree with that, there's also, like, different divisions of it you can go to boarding school if you're like in trouble or yeah, you need oh, yeah, some yeah. like right, discipline right, right. there's levels structure it, right, and right. um you know supervision right um i was those we, we call that reform school out here <laughs> but i would call it a california <laughs> or military yeah, school or military or, school um or or shut the, boys the fuck home. up <laughs> i got my eyes on you school yeah. um this was a, a school that was uh, just about the opposite, really. It was such a privilege to go there. And if you didn't do well in school, you were letting your teachers down, you know. And and so there was a really great culture there. Um, the athletics were super fun. We had a, actually had a radio station on campus. I mean, it was like oh, nice. it was really cool, you know. And um, the the people that I met there, both um, students and teachers, were like, I mean, I'm still close to not everybody, but like my top you know six best friends are four of them are from high school um so i was super lucky and for me it was just great timing you know i blossomed too and uh and uh, i'm so appreciative of it yeah i think because i used to work in education um that um the opportunity to be able to go to a boarding school um it's like going to college when you're 14. Mm -hmm because you're away from home yeah. and it causes you to mature, you know, in yeah. any way. And, and then, you know, I think in my own experience, and even I didn't go to boarding school, but then being in college and, and graduate school with kids who did, you could just see there was a little difference. They were, they were, they were like four years ahead of everybody because they had been independent for mm -hmm. a while. And, and like I said, it's just, there's this thing and I don't, I don't, there's, you know, it's just being fortunate and like, that's just, the family you were born into totally. you know so lucky yeah. i mean it, it, i wasn't lucky because my parents like got divorced, got divorced yeah. and it was not just that but it was like a really ugly one and not just that but you know there's some things about going away to high school that that do suck you know my parents weren't at my every football game right 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 you know that sucks right yep so there you know and you're right though you do develop you know and you develop um uh quicker you know i'm doing my own laundry right so yeah, like, exactly. what? <laughs> these things don't just come clean like, how do they get from the floor into the drawer? Like, isn't that like something <laughs> that just happens, you know? Yeah, yeah. But um, but no, it was great. And, um, you know, I surrounded myself with really good people. Mm -hmm. Like, to be honest, it was just a really good timing for me, too. As, as you mature as a human, you learn these lessons, you know, when you're that age. And, like, you know, there's two guys that come to mind that just, like, they were so just full of integrity and honorable and just solid human beings and I, I, 
I accredit myself. I wish I could be as good as they are, but like they're the, my mentors, you know? Yeah. Um, are we going to talk about wine? Eventually, you know. I actually, actually, I was got a. Wine is opening up. I huh? know it is very nice. Beautiful red fruits. I got some black tea. I love tea. I realized I was like, oh, like I taste wines and I've been drinking wines for years. And one, one time I'm like, oh, I thought I liked this, but what I really like in Pinot Noir is that that tea. You know, totally. You know, um, but uh, no, I actually got a text from this the the the, the guest I released on Monday, uh, Dan Posner, and he was like. And he was like, 105 minutes in, and we haven't even talked about <laughs> this and my kids. And I'm like, I was like, welcome to the Black Wine Guys. <laughs> That's funny. Um, <clears throat> because a lot of stuff people can read on your website. So we want to get to know you. People are like, so there's going to be somebody like, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. There's going to be somebody like, oh, my God, I went to Rob Lewis' team, and I'm an alum. I want to buy your wine. Yeah, or, oh, yeah. my God. For sure. You know, um, this is stories. Uh, but we are going to talk wine, though, right? Eventually. Okay. I mean, so, I mean, we talked about it in the beginning, right? Um, <laughs> well, that it's black tea. There's also like some wild sage there too. Yeah, that that. Uh, oh yeah, nice, very good call. So, where did you go to college after you left Robert Louis Stevenson? Well, um, I I had this um, that gap, you know, that summer between graduating high school and freshman year of college. Um, one of my best friends growing up from Laguna Beach. Mm -hmm. um, he and I went to Europe for, I don't know, six weeks, year rail pass, year backpack, pass. this yep. is 89, you know? Nice. So that was like, you know, that was like a pretty, I don't know if they do it so much anymore. I mean, I know the year rail passes still exist, but um, but it's not something I hear about kids that age. Well, doing. it was a big thing, because <clears throat> we didn't have social media, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and we didn't have cell phones. And if you go over to my house, you couldn't even call me by long distance. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have, you know, internet, right. digital photography. Right. Like, so we had Walkmans with cassettes. I mean, I remember being a freshman in college and seeing the whole URL pass. Like it was, it would be, it would be, um, not billboards, but flyers just plastered all over campus, right? Yeah. Or, or at an orientation, there would be someone from the URL pass company yeah. at a table. Yeah. So you, you actually had to experience shit, you know. Um, I love this. Where did you guys go? Um, well, it's kind of funny. We landed in uh, Dusseldorf and went straight to Amsterdam. Of course, <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> um, and we had a lot of fun. And uh, and then we cruised along. We didn't really have a plan, you know. We we definitely we wanted to go to Paris at some point. We wanted to like. Um, this is right before the Berlin Wall came down too. It's, the Berlin Wall came down like fall of '89. This mm -hmm. is summer of '89, mm -hmm. and uh, and so we didn't know that obviously. But you know, you could there was there was a vibe. There was an energy yeah. in the air, I'm sure. Yeah. So we definitely, I mean, through the recommendation of uh, Kern's dad, we we went to the Berlin Wall, and that was cool too because we went into East Germany, went through like Checkpoint Charlie, and like did the whole thing and. We freaked ourselves out. We we're like, you know, oh my God, we're in East Germany. Like, everyone's watching us. Are we ever going to get back? You ditch the hash. Yeah. <laughs> we did not do that. I mean, we did, but not yeah. crossing the border. Yeah. <laughs> um, Take note, Brittany Griner, when crossing into certain countries, yeah. fucking ditch it. I know. There's a fucking. Like what they, what they can cost? 15 bucks. Even it costs 30. Even it costs 50 bucks. Yeah. Are you out of your fucking mind? I mean, it's so stupid, right? Yeah. It's unaware, it, right? It is unaware. 
I, I digress. So I just, like, literally when after that first one, I was like, just what do you do? Just ditch it. Yeah. Anyway, we've all um, traveled before. Is the whole point. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> That's really cool. You had a second guest who actually had a guest who was actually in Berlin after the wall fell. It's mm. amazing. And he's a winemaker too, as well. He's down in Australia now, but that's amazing. What an amazing experience! Yeah, super cool. Um, we made it through Italy. We made it through. We actually then um, uh, ferried over from you know the tip of Italy over to Greece. You know, and that was amazing to like. Oh my god! Yeah, and then we went to Turkey, which was cool because back then, you know, I mean, there's a lot of American uh, Turkey, you know, history, right? Yep. But like. It was still, you know, there was, you know, it was a little unstable back then too. So that was a little risky, which was exciting. And then um, we went to, uh, then we trained it back like through whatever, Hungary and Bulgaria. I'm just going off the top of my head. I don't really remember mm -hmm. a, a lot of that. But my point is we ended up back in Amsterdam <laughs> because we wanted to hit it one more time of before we, we came back home. Right. Because you can't just go <laughs> to Amsterdam. If, you go, if you're over in Europe, you got to do Amsterdam yeah. twice. <laughs> You're 18 years old. I mean, it was so much fun. <laughs> so you took your trip to Europe, which is awesome. Um, and then where'd you go to university? Oh, so, yeah, that was the question. Um, I graduated USC down in L.A., University okay. of Southern So Cal. what years were you down there? So now we got uh, to talk, who did you watch play football? And oh, yeah, football, so I know. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, when I was there, we weren't that great. I mean, we had um, Rob Johnson was the quarterback. Curtis Conway was the receiver. Yep. Um, yeah, even when a school like that's bad, though, there's guys who are going to go to the NFL. No, no doubt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just like this past year or the year before, you know, I mean, um, there was, uh, yeah, it sucked, right? It's, but I've just born and raised a USC football fan. Um, and what's that? I mean, like, what's that like? See, I'm, I went to a, I'm from a small town in New Jersey. I went to a small liberal arts college to start, and then I went to a D2 school, which, but, but like, you're talking like a mecca of college football. Like, what is that like to go into a stadium to be? Oh, it's awesome. Like on a Saturday, like it must be crazy. Friday night, going. Does it start Thursday night? Like what? <laughs> what, what, what? When in college, yeah, I mean Thursday night was the big night, but um, that was you know independent of a football yeah, game. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean like growing up in that scene, right? And like the the sun on your face, the Col L.A. Coliseum, and. The band, you know, the marching band of USC was just, even to this day, it gives me the chills. I mean, it's like, it is just this this energy, like everything about it. Um, excuse me. And um, and then, you know, there's the just the tradition, like the colors, like there's no names on their jerseys, That's like right. the black shoes, you know. Um, there's like the song girls. I mean, not to be perverted, but like. You know, I mean, there's a there's something about that that just goes with the whole picture. That's an important part of, of it. Of course, right? it's a it's a vibe. It's a vibe, and and then there's the tradition. You know, like there's that whole like excellence. You know, perseverance, and then the you know whatever they've been there for over a hundred years playing football. Um, so growing up with that was like, oh my god, and then going you know through college there, and then. You know, even afterwards, I don't go to that many games anymore just because it's during harvest time, right? But yep. I try to yep. go to at least one. It's yep. either the very first or the very last. But, mm -hmm. like, I watch it. I record it. I mean, one of the the reason why I even got TiVo back in the day. Remember TiVo? Of course. TiVo. <laughs> that was revolutionary. I it mean, was. you could record And, and they it. lost to the – a DVR is a TiVo. Yeah. I don't know why I didn't take – they actually had the brand – a DVR is TiVo. Yeah. It's the same freaking thing. They yeah. said – that's stupid. That little TV box walking totally. around. Hi, I'm Tivo. Totally. Um, <laughs> but I would record the games, and then I would, because they're on Saturdays, and I'd be working on Saturday at harvest time, and I'd come home 
with the game, you know, like, oh, I can't wait. I'm going to, like, whatever, make some dinner, open up some wine, put my headphones on and watch the game, you know. So I'd have to keep my phone off during the day um, because my dumbass friends would, you know, text the oh, yeah. updates. Blowing up the you know. um, Did you see that? No, I'm yeah, working. I'm fucking working. And, like, like the rivalry, like a USC-UCLA game must mm. be insane. Totally. Just, just it's so much fun. I mean, back then, I took it a lot more seriously. Yeah. Like, I had anger yeah. towards the Bruins, you know? <laughs> now it's like, it's cool, but I still don't like them. You know? <laughs> but I don't have the anger anymore. What, what, what did you major in at USC? I was um, public administration. Okay. Um, this is, uh, you started off, it's funny, well, it's not funny, but I have a daughter in college right now, and so she's starting off with uh, business marketing. But what's funny is that, um, you just you change you know so many times and uh, and it's it's interesting the path and then when you end up you know on your path and then what I do now has nothing to do with you sure. know what I studied in college back then you know college was a little bit different too as you remember I mean it was really important to get a degree you know yep. and yep. if you didn't get one you were kind of like you know outcast or you were like oh you'll never be successful or whatever that's what they told i mean they 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 they've had the graphic i still see it like it was like what a, someone with a high school diploma makes what a co- what a high school dropout makes what yeah. a high school diploma yeah. what someone with a college degree someone with a master's degree yeah. someone i mean like and it it is back then it was it was a big thing yeah uh, now in days you, you know if well if you're in stanford and you drop you've gotten to stanford you I see why you would drop out to go make all that money at Google, but anyway, <laughs> you get, but those but, are those are the rare cases. But yeah. like, but yeah, so that was uh, that was really important. Um, I think it's interesting now, right? Because it's it's not that important anymore. You know, I don't think. No, I, I agree. As someone who worked in education, I think people now look for um, can you do the job? What what what, you, what type of they call them soft skills. I think they're the real skills, like how you interact with people, uh, how quickly you think, your ability to make decisions, yeah. um, your ability to recover from uh, uh, a decision that didn't go away. I mean, it's things like that, and that then it then it gets taught in college. So, you know, the key thing is just to find what it is that you love to do, right? which is hard. But if you do, like we said in the beginning, like with your dad, if you can do that, yeah, I know it's not it's not easy. Right. You know, and I think that's the challenge, though, Chad, because I think now with all the internet stuff. It's there's it's so much noise. So it's 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 on one level it's easy. You can get all the education off the in, off YouTube. Like lectures from accredited professors are on YouTube. Like you can get the education. It's, it's filtering through the noise. Yeah. So um so you you start did you did you get your degree in public administration? Yes. Okay. And what what was the thing? Were you like you did you want to go into public policy, uh, uh law, uh government? Honestly, like when I got towards the end of my college career, I was like, I just need to get my degree and get gotcha. out. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and so I did that. Um, and then it kind of ties back into the that summer between freshman high school and freshman uh, college was um, I, uh, I have a good buddy of mine from uh, SC. We, we devised this plan. After we graduated, we were going to go um, get an around-the-world ticket. Ooh. Yeah, which is good for 365 days, and you just go in one direction. And so we were all about mapping this thing out, and the, the focus was Africa and India. And in between, there was, like, some Southeast Asia, and um, and then there was a very, very brief stint in Europe. But that's just the way the ticket brought you, you know, okay. whatever is L.A. to um, Bangkok, Bangkok to 
you know, Jakarta, Jakarta to New Delhi, New Delhi to Nairobi, like that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. You just filled in the gaps, yeah. right? Um, but that was that was huge, you know, for me. Again, at that point in my my collegiate career, right? <laughs> Um, I just wanted to get a degree and get out, and I wanted to go do this. And uh, I was really low budget. You know, I mean, I, I worked when I was at school, um, so I saved enough money. Um, and, you know, uh, I tried to stretch it, you know, as far as I could, and I did. Um, part of the reason was, um, well, first of all, was, like, just living on a really tight budget. And then, um, second of all, I got a job working um, as a cook in Zimbabwe on safari. So that was three months <laughs> of, of time, right? I got to go on safari for three months. That's insane. And I also got to extend my trip for three months, you know? Um, so that was, that was, that was a, the education, really. And it wasn't just an education on, like, learning, you know, obviously from a book or a professor. It was the education of life, really, mm -hmm. you know? And I came back changed, you know? I was, like, just not... I was, you know, it was, it was a lot of mixed feelings, but there was this, when you go out there and you spend that much time in all these different countries, and most of which are third world, um, you really get a good perspective on your life, but also who you are as a human and also as an American, you know? Mm -hmm. It was really interesting. It was eye-opening. Yeah, I mean, you you were around just millions and millions of brown people, man. For sure. You know? No doubt. I, I mean that, that, and and I, you know, I haven't experienced that. I haven't been to Africa. Like that's like like what I'm talking. That's that's a, like people need to get like that's a serious experience. That I, <laughs> you would have to come back changed. Yeah, you would have to. And the highs were really high, and the lows were really low. Yeah, you know, yeah. there was times where you're just crying, right? But there's times where you're just like, oh my god, I cannot believe I'm here right now. Yeah. That's that's insane. That that really um, is really cool that you took the time to do that. Yeah. Um, so you come back from this amazing trip around the world, and uh, what year is it? And what do you what do you what do you do? do you so that job? was the year of ninety four. Okay. Um, uh, basically, from like I don't know January fourth to December thirtieth or something. Okay. Um, or actually, I came back right before Christmas. Um. The, the, it's funny because, you know, it, you know, so again, this is back before emails, before digital photography. So, so, so you're going to say you didn't know about the OJ Simpson trial until <laughs> you got back? Dude, I was in, I was actually in the uh, embassy in, in Nairobi, Kenya, uh -huh. and that was on TV live, right? Yep. It was a couple of years later that that embassy got blown up. Wow. Right? But the, the TV was this white suburban cruising down, whatever, the 405. Yep. Um, or the five, I don't remember. Was it five, ten? It was one of them. Yeah. And uh, it was like O.J. Simpson, like movie star, yeah, right? Because yeah. that's how they knew O.J. Simpson. They didn't right. know him as the football they player. They didn't know him yeah. as, he's an SC guy. I know. I'm like, He's what? the juice. OJ, what's going <laughs> on? No. You can't be doing this shit, dude. <laughs> he was like, no. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, it's funny or interesting because the – the line of communications, uh, the or lines of communication, and then the um, the news. You know, like you just you're you miss out on so much sure. stuff, but it's okay. Like you're not totally. really focused on it, but right. you do things do pop up along the way. You're like, no way. You right. know, like Kurt Cobain died that year, and it's yep. like, what? Wow. Yeah. Um. Anyways, um, that was uh, yeah, that was crazy. So before digital photography, emails, um, 
this is when you know we still had a cassette Walkman, yep. right? I yep. mean, CDs were. I mean, out, they had emails in '95, but like only like yeah. nerds, geeks were yeah. like people who were into tech. Were you know, totally. I was like, what do I want to email for? I'll just yeah. call you. Yeah, I know. You know, what do I want a cell phone for? I'm going out. I don't, you know, yeah. like you know, there was even cell phones back. I mean, there was, they were called car phones back. Then. <laughs> Remember those big ass? Yeah, the big ass with, with a the antenna. Yeah, 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 and you thought you were so cool. Exactly. Was like, hey, check me out. <laughs> but um. <laughs> I love your kind of like what you're saying. Like it was, you were where, you were being where you were at, right? Like yeah. the things might pop up, but things that in our daily lives that could be stressors or triggers, like they're not concerned with that in Jakarta. They're not, you know, mm -mm. like you know, it's 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 they got their own concerns, mm. and some of their daily concerns, like I said, third are much more grave than like whatever gossip or whatever nonsense we got going on. So, yeah, I mean, there was times where you know. You know, you run into other travelers, and this was not like a partying thing, right? Because I couldn't afford it for one, and for two, that's not what my mission was. My mission was like to experience the world, and so I avoided a lot of you know Westerners, mm -hmm. right? Because I wanted to be deep, as deep as I could, mm -hmm. right? And uh, and I went deep, but um, the there was times though when you did come across someone, they're like, "Where are you from?" I mean, it's an obvious one of the first questions, right? And um, I'd kind of quickly suss out the situation. I'd be like. Canada, you know, because <laughs> I wasn't sure if I said American, if that no, would be, yep. you know, cohesive or, you know. Right, because, I mean, so there was like, there was conflict in Somalia. So, yeah, I mean, like you said. So in there Jakarta. Was, I Jakarta, mean, yeah, there was stuff going on in that, in the Indian Ocean region. Yeah. They don't think highly of Americans no, yeah. everywhere, right, uh, you know. Right. That was a really eye-opening experience because yeah. you think, I mean, you're raised in America. I mean, listen, there's, a, America's huge. There's tons of different cultures and whatever, but like, we're raised with this pride. We have an ethos. You there's, know? there's an American ethos, yeah. right? And yeah, I remember first time going. It's like it's, it's very interesting, like you said. Um, and I just like have been to Europe, you know, um, but I can only imagine. Yeah, and, and we forget, like, yeah, we the conflicts that have gone on around the country that the world that we've been involved in could leave. And Canadians are everywhere anyway. So for whatever, yeah. Canadians seem to have money. Where they're always <laughs> traveling. Whatever. They're I'm also safe. They're yeah. they're like <laughs> neutral. I mean, I, I mean, in a really yeah, in good, a good way. way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's like so. Sometimes you know, saying Canadian was like, I think this is a good moment to yeah. say this. Right. Yeah, that's so funny. A safer. Moment, I guess. <laughs> but so I got back from that, and then um, I so now I'm whatever 24, 25, I think, somewhere in that range, and. Um, and I was, I was kind of bummed because I felt like all this education that I was so lucky to receive, mm -hmm. um, that I all I really wanted to do. I mean, it was a it was a thought that I took very seriously, but the reality was I didn't actually fulfill it. But I wanted to move to Montana, mm. and work construction, get a dog, and live in a cabin, you know, wow. and just like, kind of remove myself from all the stuff that I was raised to believe was the right way to go, mm -hmm. right? Which mm -hmm. was, you know whatever, money motivated, profiting, you know, like getting, you know, climbing the ladder essentially, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, that's not that's not who I am. I mean, it's not it's not what motivates me. And, and I was just like, ah, now that's an extreme example, sure. right? Had I actually done that, like that would have been, whoa, like, is Chad okay, you know? Yep. Um, but um, I didn't do it, but that's kind of where I was at. And, um, and then, um, I ended up actually living in Manhattan Beach, right? Like, okay. Which w a bunch of college buddies lived there, and um, 
working there locally. And then I got super lucky because I, I mean, the, uh, one of my best buddies, we would just sit around and talk about like, what do you want to do? Like this sucks. Like, I mean, we're having fun in Manhattan beach. It's like, how could you not have fun? I love Manhattan beach. <laughs> I mean, it's Manhattan, Hermosa. It's oh. stupid. Like how much fun we yeah. had, but like, even that was kind of getting boring. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, and so, um, my family had up until that point, um, been growing wine up in uh, Knights Valley, up in Calistoga, Sonoma, right on the border there, and selling off the fruit, right? So I was I was exposed to that early on, and that was like a, you know, it's not it wasn't a hobby for my dad, but it was a second business, right? Mm -hmm. And he took it really seriously. Mm -hmm. He elevated this vineyard that he bought that mm -hmm. was kind of going under, mm -hmm. and he really turned it around, right? He it, it takes money to make money. I mean, these are things that we we know to for the most part be true. And, uh, and so he did it, you know, and he elevated the quality, he elevated the contracts, he got more money, he got recognized, he started making reserve programs, I mean, over the course of whatever, you know, 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. um, but my point is, I was exposed to that, again, lucky, right? And, um, and so when, um, when it came time, what he actually, he bought this land where we're at now, right, in 96. Mm -hmm. And so you know what, hang on, this is actually a great time to take a pause okay. as we uh, transition. Finally, Chad's like, finally the wine talk, but let's make a quick break. <laughs> and then I'll take him on another detour and I'm sure we'll get to wine with Melville, but uh, I'll be right back. Give us, uh, we'll be right back, everybody. Did you know that one out of every five bottles of collectible wines is a fake? Rare Liquid has solved this problem with a tech platform that provides unprecedented trust and transparency for next-gen wine collectors. Working directly with iconic artisans, they verify each bottle's provenance at its source, then track its rarity, ownership, storage, and transfer history on the blockchain. Rare Liquid members get exclusive access to these verified rare wines and can buy, store, and pimp their collections on the Rare Liquid platform. Membership includes physical seller storage as well as cloud sellers, where you can display and trade bottles frictionlessly online without ever having to move the bottle until it's ready to be consumed. And because Rare Liquid tracks these on the blockchain, for the first time, artisans get a residual payment every time one of their bottles transfers ownership. Rare Liquid's game-changing tech creates a safe and frictionless experience for next-gen collectors while fairly rewarding iconic artisans for their craft. Rare Liquid membership is by invite only, but luckily I can help. I have a limited number of these invitations available for you, my listeners. And if you're interested in learning more about Rare Liquid, please reach out. You can hit me up on Instagram at BlackWineGuy, or even better, send me an email, BlackWineGuy at gmail.com, and drop Rare Liquid in the subject line. Okay, we're back. So, it's so what's so funny is I don't have extensive notes. I just have a couple questions and some prompts, and then I'm listening to you and and I was gonna be like, okay, so the question, next question that, that I do have written down was like, um, how did you get into wine? Was it a party? You know, was well, first of all, growing up, when you you know before your parents divorced, whatever, at dinner, did your parents did your parents drink wine at dinner? Was it in the house? Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah, it was not only just in the house, but it was also available. But I didn't partake. But sure. what was available though was like opportunities. You know, hey, smell this. What do you smell? You know, and it was like, oh, whatever, you know, grapes or wine or, right, you know. Right. Um, but then as I, you know, 
as I matured, then it was, you know, things changed, right? It wasn't yep. just about what you smelled. It was about what you tasted. It was about what you felt. It was about the connection to Mother Nature. And, um, and that's really when I, like, I just fell in deep at that point, right? But um, And who was that? Was that, was that, was that, because obviously your mom was a cooked for you guys and prepared yeah. meals. Was it her doing the pairing, or did your dad get into wine through work? Because I know it's a lot of people fall into wine because finance. You're taking clients out, and mm. you learn about wine, so you're yeah. not embarrassed going out. Totally. You know. Yeah, well, that that wasn't really my dad, but um, okay. my dad, like in the early '70s, um, he uh, first of all, I mean, my dad is like he's very observant, he's very aware, he's very in tune, and he's got a gift to kind of forecast right which is yeah. again that was his business but like in terms of real estate or in terms of like the wine business mm -hmm. you know um he was um uh got some great advice from a wine shop down in costa mesa called high time um it's still there i've heard I've, of i've it, heard of it's it. awesome yeah, yeah. yeah and so um he bought some you know back then some affordable first growth Bordeaux. Bordeaux. futures yeah. Yeah. yeah for like 15.99 you know um but that's fifteen ninety nine a bottle, everybody. Yeah, yeah. So you know, fifteen dollars <laughs> yeah. and ninety nine cents. Um, and uh, and so that was how he got into the business. Okay. He's always loved to grow things, mm -hmm. but he was not growing anything. Okay. But he just loved this idea, and it's really interesting because I think that really wore off on me too, right? Not only wine knowledge and growing wine, but also just the fact that he just wanted to grow vegetables or grow whatever in the garden. Um, and then he obviously connected the dots to wine, but that's my dad was a great chef or is, mm -hmm. um, and so for me, some fennel in this one, man. Oh, that's the yes, the end, yeah. Yeah. So for me, it was, um, yeah. There's fennel. There's some like umami character. Yeah, I'm some, tasting, but I was like, I was like, I'm like anise. I'm like, that's not even anise. It's fennel. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm getting the actual plant. You know what I mean? Anyway. Um. Yeah. So uh, that was. That's how he. That's how he got into the business was through loving wine, mostly through the 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 eyes of Bordeaux, which is kind of um, ironic because he doesn't drink Bordeaux anymore. It's all you know Pinot Noir, right? Yeah. But um, everyone starts somewhere, right? Yeah. I started with Australian Shiraz. You know, what did I you start? I with? I might have started with um, White Zinfandel. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you I mean, know. if we go, if we're talking about starting, starting, I mean, California Coolers was yeah. like, California remember cooler. that? Yeah, of course. And that big ass, like two liter. California like, Cooler in a, in a two liter bottle. Because it started <laughs> with Bartles and James, which was a wine cooler. Yeah. But then California Coolers is more to go around, buddy. Um, like the cactus on the label, yeah, right? Yeah. Very silky. You're right. This umami, I'm like, the texture of this one is completely different. Yeah. So this is the Block M. Clay soil, top of the hill, two clones, 80% whole cluster. So there's a lot of like, there's a lot of power in this wine. You know, there's strength. Yeah. Like it's like lean muscle, but yep. it's, it's strong. Yeah. It's potent. Um, so. And fennel. Yeah, fennel. Just, it, it was, it was just jumping out at me. Um, so your dad, he, he was, he was kind of into it. So. Um, Super into it. Yeah, sorry. No, it's okay. No, it's cool. So go ahead. So you were you finished story. I just interrupted with the fennel note. So um, you were saying that. So he bought these first girls down at high time, and he's really good. His job, uh, if you're a money manager, is forecasting, knowing trends, seeing things. Um, when did he purchase the vineyard up 
in Sonoma? In the mid-80s. Okay. Yeah, and so what brought us up there was another um, family friend called the Stollmullers, and they have a vineyard up there. They actually they have a winery as well. Um, but they, that was the connection in the Alexander Valley. We would go up as a family and just whatever, like the parents would barbecue or something. The kids would rip around on motorcycles, mm-hmm. shooting guns and like whatever. And, uh, and um, the Roger Stolmuller and my dad would just, you know, talk numbers. You know, they would just be like, wow, like this is fantastic. This actually can make sense. Like if you take this route and you do these changes and whatever, like you can – you can project it to being profitable and have a lot of fun, right? Like, it's not just fun, like, oh, let's pop wine. It's fun in terms of, like, the reward of growing, you know, this raw ingredient, working with Mother Nature. And, like, that's the fun, right, is you get this, you know, this high-quality wine grapes that, in this case, we were delivering to other wineries, but, like, they loved it, you know, and going back and tasting out of barrel, and then just connecting those dots and then being like, okay, like, well, let's try this in the vineyard next year. I mean, there's so many. Viticulture really took off then, you know, in the, I mean, really, it's, it's, it really took off in the mid 80s, mm-hmm. you know, but like the early 90s and then the mid 90s where there's new clones and like just viticulture just, I mean, leaps and bounds. It was a really, really fantastic time to be in the business, you know. And so in that case, you know, again, lucky, good timing. And, uh, yeah. And so uh, my dad really like fell in love with Pinot Noir along the way, okay. you know. But what was that vineyard planted to? Right? Oh, mostly Cabernet, uh-huh. Merlot. Um, actually, when he bought it, most of it was planted to Napa Gamay. Mm. So it was like, you ain't gonna make no money. Selling <laughs> Napa I was just gonna say <laughs> on, the price now. per ton. Everybody, you don't have to know a whole stupid. lot about wine. <laughs> uh, Five dollars a ton. <laughs> but this is this is also why the the vineyard wasn't working for the previous owner like mm-hmm. he couldn't make it work and so he put it up for sale right and so my dad came in there and this is good timing like merlot was starting to get really hot in the mid to late 80s he grafted over that gamay to merlot which is kind of funny now because you would rather have it in gamay because gamay is so trendy and hip yeah. and cool right yep, yep. but um but that was a really good move the first move he made actually was hiring a vineyard manager his name was paul vandershelly he's passed away but he was he was money, right? That dude was smart. That dude was passionate. My dad, he led my dad down the right path. And then my dad also started taking classes at UC Davis. Okay, wow. So he took it seriously, right? It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't a hobby, like, oh, let's just have fun. He was like, let's, let's make some fucking money and let's get, like, the quality of the fruit up there. All these viticulture advancements that are coming out, reading about, trying, like, this stuff works, you know? And not everything, but a lot of it works. And we saw, we as an industry saw improvement higher quality wines around the world, you know, because of these advancements. And it's not just an American advancement or a UC Davis theory, right? These are, you know, there's obviously viticulture analogy schools all around the world and they all communicate to each other, right? right? These ideas. Right. And so the industry of worldwide took off, you know? I think that's so powerful that your dad's already, he's successful to go back and take classes because he stuff like that's commitment like to like to, to okay I'm gonna make this business work How do, I, well like it's like you said he hired a vineyard manager which you have to do but like knowing enough to know who to hire and stuff yeah. like that right totally. like that's 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 it's laudable man that's yeah that's pretty, it's humble too yeah. right I mean he you know that's just my dad though right? he just puts his head down he works hard you know he is successful um 
financially, right? I mean, there's, there's success is a lot of different success definitions. Is, but, yeah, right. um, he, you know, wasn't too proud. You know, he realized he needed he didn't know enough and he wanted to learn. You know, that's so funny. I, I just there's a I can't think of it right now, but it's a syndrome where people because they have expertise in one area, you know, like, you know, you might have helped start a uh, payment processing on the internet and you might have started a company that has done a lot of things in the field of uh, solar and electric energy, but you might not know how to run a social media company, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and not being help, you know, like, and then there's like people like your dad, like, okay, I want to learn how to do this yeah. and I want to do this right. Totally. And commits. That's really cool. So, <clears throat> Um, I don't know if you can name, but like, because I don't understand, like even to this day, Knights Valley, Alexander Valley, not as well known as it should be for cap. It's right by now. It's the other side of fucking Napa. My account, like people like, like to sit like, okay, so now you might have like Jesse Katz is way up there, but like, but like a lot of those wines that I say, if a, if a wine is, if a wine's like a hundred bucks or 125 from, from Alexander Valley. It's three twenty-five in Napa. Yeah, for sure. Why do you think it's still so underrated? As someone whose family has had property in the area. For yeah, well, we don't have it anymore. But um, but no, it's a really. I mean, there's this. I mean, Napa's Napa, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that was th this is. It's a really good observation on your part. I mean, literally, the county line between Sonoma and Napa was like, you know, less than a quarter mile away. There's a big paint stripe along yeah. Friends Valley School <laughs> Road. It says Sonoma and Napa. Like they make it clear. Like you're you're leaving one and you're entering the other. Um but and that used to drive my dad nuts. My dad's like, listen, like this is badass fruit. Like it doesn't matter what county it comes from. Right. You know? It commands this price. Yeah. Like, well that's that's Sonoma County fruit, you know? Um so it you're you're the underdog, right? It's like and you always will be, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. In a lot of the cases, you know, Santa Rita Hills is the underdog to Burgundy, right? Or whatever. I mean, um and that's okay. You know, I mean, it's it's just you know, my dad made the choice. He knew what he was buying. Yep. And he knew the uphill battle that was ahead of him. But you know, Napa is Napa and for good reason. Yeah. Um Napa's Deserve world class. So. Yeah. But so is Sonoma. Exactly. That's just a crap. crap <laughs> and so the, really, I think the winner here, though, is the consumer, right? Yeah. Because they can go get, like Santa Rita Hills, you can get s amazing world-class wines for a fraction of the cost yep. of Burgundy yep. Yep. or which, other regions. Which we'll get into. Yeah. So, as you said, he started with Bordeaux. Yep. And then um, he started falling in love with Pinot Noir. Yeah. Okay. Doesn't uh, everybody, though, isn't that like where you end up? I think you do, even for me, like who I'm a Rhone guy and I love Grenache and I love Syrah and I love, you know, and I love Central Coast wines. And one of the knocks on some of people is like, they're too high in alcohol. But as long as the acid's there and everything's balanced, that's really what's important to yeah. me. But like, like lately, the past like six months, I've been crushing on Pinot Noir. I'm like, when it's done right, yeah. you know, I mean, Grenache is probably my favorite, but, but when Pinot Noir is, the, Pinot Noir is done right, then it's, then you're like, oh, I get it. I get this whole burgundy thing. You it's know? it's like, you know, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's like the Grateful Dead to me, right? Mm -hmm. You start off liking music and you go down your different paths, whatever. Like everything is great. No one's judging. But once I discovered the Grateful Dead and I and I like got my head around the complexities of it, like mm -hmm. how deep the music is layered, I was like, there's nowhere else to go after this for me. 
And that's how I see Pinot Noir in a lot of ways. Like, I listen, I love Rhone. I love Syrah. I love Grenache. I mean, I love Nebula. I'm the Riesling. I love a lot of varietals, a lot of wines, a lot of wine regions. I'm not like, you know, jaded and I'm not yep. just myopic in my thinking. And But Pinot Noir, as far as a, a, a varietal, a category, to me, it's, the, it's one of the most, if not the most, like thought-provoking, layered, complex, kind of moody, you know, Vrattles wines out there. Yeah. So your dad had purchased the original, uh, the property that yeah. is now the Melville estate. When, um, when did he purchase that land? In 96. So we did it. He did it actually. Um, in a couple different purchases, right? Okay. It's one thing to like, you know, find the region that you want to commit yourself to it's another you know and through that process you know obviously you're studying like weather and what was what was the process for well him? it's interesting i mean it's a really fun story but like the we love fun stories okay. here the podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what you're here how much for. time do we have here? we got time <laughs> <laughs> um he was i mean just you know put yourself in my dad's thinking right he's always about like you know projecting um and he understands the value of things and he projects the future value, mm -hmm. right? That's his forte. Um, knowing that Pinot Noir was, you know, what he thought he wanted to commit himself to, he was, you know, like searching, but not like, you know, um, you know, crazy, right? And he found himself um, at the at the little Nell. It sounds so bougie, but whatever, right? It's, it's the story. Listen, okay. I, listen, I... <laughs> These are the stories like it's it like freaking I've had Bobby Stuckey on and yeah. I've had I'm like the little it's what's very interesting is these these clusters it where like why does all this wine shit coming out of this one restaurant in Colorado yeah. right like totally. so yeah so it was at the little Dell yeah and actually Bobby was there Bobby was I mean <laughs> Bobby's my boy what up Bobby um, shout out Bobby Stuckey he, he um. He was the the sommelier there, and my dad was solo, and he was like, "I want a glass of you know Napa Cabernet, right?" And he was like, "Oh, you know, tonight we're doing the special on Santa Barbara County Pinot Noir." See, this is the story. <laughs> this is awesome, <laughs> right? Yeah. And uh, and so um, you know, my dad's like, "What?" You know, like, "Okay, I'll try it. Whatever." I mean, I don't, I wasn't there, yeah, right? But yeah. like, the conversation evolved to getting him a glass of this Aubant Clement. Uh, Mount Carmel, no, Sanford and Benedict, uh, Pinot Noir. Um, and this is like, this is probably, you know, 94, 95-ish, right? Mm -hmm. um, this is before Aspen really blew up. It was before the Little Nell, like, I mean, Little Nell has always been like, you know, the shit, but like, you know, before Aspen blew up, right? Right. And uh, my dad was like, oh shit, like what is, like this is good, like tell me more about this. And so Bobby was like, it's this little town or this vineyard is out right outside this little town called Buellton, you know, on the 101. And my dad was like, Buellton, no way. Like I, like I drive by Buellton all, all the, the time. time. Right. And, uh, as a matter of fact, he said like, that's where he got gas, right? Like there's probably the same station, the same pump. It's like that know? mobile station near van. I know. I probably guess. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so the next time my dad was in the area, um, to get gas, he started cruising around and, um, you know, he discovered the mountain range that runs east to west. He was like, whoa, the weather, like, it's it's kind of crazy because when you drive from northern California to southern in the summertime, you increase temperature, and then you get to our little pocket, you actually decrease, right? And then you continue on south, you go back to increasing. So there's this little mountain range that runs east to west right there. It's cold, it's windy, it's sunny. 
And my dad was like, wow, like this is interesting. And then he started tasting some other wines like Babcock and, um, you know, Rick Longoria and, you know, the Old Bon Clement wines, the, the Sanford wines. And, um, and, and then he started looking at land pricing, right? And he was like, whoa, like this is... Shit was... I mean, relatively it was relatively inexpensive. Well, especially I said, I said relatively, yeah. Because okay, I'm just gonna say, Santa Rita Hills. Even when I moved out there, it wasn't. I lived 99. I moved out. It was called Lompton. There was no Santa Rita Hills. <laughs> so it was Lompton because Lompoc Federal Prison. Yeah. Is near the Santa Rita Hills population. Yeah. And the Vandenberg <laughs> Air Force and Vandenberg Base. Air Force yeah. Base. So yes, nobody's trying to move out. Like you know. Nobody's trying to move out there thinking, except, and you said the name, you can't, for me, you can't talk Santa Rita Hills without Brian Babcock. Yeah. Dude, totally. Dude was to still, like, and there we talk about underrated. Like, how more people don't know about Brian Babcock is mind-blowing to Have me. you had him on the show? Not yet. You I'm, gotta get I, him. I know, I got That I'm, dude yeah. is smart, the, and he, I mean, that dude's a shit. I tell people, when I went out to Santa Barbara, I moved out in 99, and... And I stayed at this guy's, this is sound bougie, but it was, I stayed at this guy who was a collector and he had a big ass piece of property in Montecito and he had an unfinished guest house. Let me say in his guest house, right? But like we would do uh, blind taste and weird stuff. And like one time we did a bunch of, like we had, he had like sine qua non and like uh, Sean Thackeray, Orion, Sean Thackeray, rest in peace, creative line maker. Um, you know, we had all these, you know, and, and we had like, so, so we, it was 96 Syrah. So like we had a Rideau. Shout out to Irish Rideau. But I forgot who made the wine for her. But it was purchased grapes. She wasn't even purchased. Rideau Syrah. Babcock Syrah. Babcock the Black, Black Label. Label. Cuvée, yeah. A bunch of And every time we do a tasting, Babcock Black Label would, would fucking win. Yeah. And it was like a $30 bottle of wine. Yeah. 1996. I said it before. 1996 Babcock Black Label. <laughs> it's one of the greatest Congress Ross I've totally. ever had. And the Rideau would finish in the top three too. So so anyway, so I just when you said Brian Babcock, like and he was just out there making wine. It was no appellation. He just and I don't I have to have one because I want to find out how he fuck he found knew to go there. But but so your dad's driving through, he sees the pricing, he's forecasting out. Yeah. But then also, you know, so let's let's just go with that theory. Like you find your place. Yeah. Now you gotta find your piece of land and not every piece of land is for sale, right? So now it's about, well, what is for sale? Like, how can I make this work or whatever, right? And so, you know, and the way that Santa Rita Hills works and a, a large amount of counties in California, I'm sure maybe it's probably around the United States, but you don't, you're not encouraging people to break up their 2,000 acre piece of land, right? Because there's oh, a- uh, Northeast they do. It's like, you, you know what? You can subdivide <laughs> that shit. Okay, um, but, but yeah, but no, but I know like in Washington, that's one of the problems. Like Washington State's really cheap, relatively, but the plots are so large becomes a problem. Yeah. They can't break them up. You can't break them up. But, like, so then it, that, it's not that they're like, like what one, one acre would cost in Napa, but yeah. like, but it, it's, but it's like, it's 5,000 acres. They yeah. can't break it up. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, he found a piece. It was actually directly west of Babcock. It actually borders a piece of Babcock land. Um, it was just sitting there. The guy that owned it actually was, I think, a dentist and you know, I think Manhattan Beach actually, but I'm not I don't really remember. Um, and he had plans to, I guess, make a horse ranch out of it or something, but it had been fifteen years of just sitting there. And so and you know, my dad found a really good real estate guy and um they put an offer in and um 
and he bought it like within five minutes. And my dad was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like <laughs> there's something wrong. Man. Like it doesn't like you don't have transactions don't work that way. Right. <laughs> there's a, like a negotiation period. Like you got to sell me on why I want this piece of land. Right. The guy was like, nope, it's yours. And so um, it kind of threw my dad back a little bit. But what was interesting is that um, this is where these two wines come from is that plot of land right here. Um, and, uh, and so then my, my dad, uh, was, he got my brother on board, you know, I don't remember exactly all those conversations, but my brother started working for my dad at that point. Um, and he, my brother would tell me all the time, like almost daily, like, you know, how much fun he was having, like planting, driving the tractor, like putting in the infrastructure. What was he doing before this? My brother, he's always been that way. Like his mind is like engineer, like mechanical, okay like farming, just put your head down. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of funny, but like we're very different in a lot of ways. And, and this is a, a fun example that I use. It's not true, but it's, it's just a, it paints the picture. My dad would be like, all right, you know, whatever, Chad, you know, or Brent go dig like a hundred holes, you know, and my brother would grab a shovel and start, start digging. Right. And then he'd, you know, theoretically turn to me and Chad, go dig a hundred holes. And I'd be like, well, why? Yeah. So that's like how I like mean, you I, have that that, <laughs> that 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 annoying thing to some people what, did we need a hundred like maybe, yeah. maybe it's just like what's 20 good holes wait, yeah <laughs> what if i did 20 really good exactly, holes is yeah, that exactly. is that equate to a hundred you yeah. know he'd be like shut the fuck up and go dig a hundred holes like okay well do you want it like square rectangular like how long how big you know anyways um so i eventually made my way up you know, it took me about a year, a year and a half to kind of get out of my whatever, get out. Of, I was living in Manhattan Beach. I, wa to I wanted get, to get away from all <laughs> that beach bum life with all the beautiful girls yeah, on the totally. beach and just going out my buddy's drinking. Totally. Night. I was ready to go, but it just it, it took me like a year to, to pack up and, and go. But um, but I, then I landed, you know, in a trailer, right, a double wide trailer living with my brother on the land, mm -hmm. uh, you know, digging holes, you know. And, uh, and I, I never have looked back since then, right? It's just been something that I fell in love with immediately. I got a job that, whatever, I think I came out in spring. I got a job working at Santa Barbara Winery downtown. Yep, Bruce McGuire. In the, um, yeah, in the tasting room, you know, to kind of learn the sales part of it. And then the, the kind of deal that's was... That's how we met Greg Brewer? Yeah, okay. that's how I met Greg yeah, and yeah. Bruce. But we were also... Uh, planting a vineyard, right? And Got Bruce yep. was a client. Like we, we made it a contract with Bruce to buy fruit. So there was a little in yep. and Bruce agreed to kind of hire me in the tasting room for summer and then in the cellar for fall. Okay. Um, and then I also got a couple months of vineyard experience, right? He didn't have to f uh, fire me, right? It was yep. just one of those things where it was like, okay, we're done. Um, and I got to pick his brain and Greg's as well. And um, so that was great, right? So now I have some experience with production, which I, I needed because I need to connect the dots. I need to understand how and why, right? And, uh, and so then, I, then uh, my dad purchased the other piece that's on the east side of Babcock. So we kind of surround Babcock. Okay. Um, and that's where the, the winery is. That's where the building is. And, um, and so that's when I started to kind of, I took over kind of managing that piece. So that needed to be started. The wells dug, the infrastructure in, the, you know, the holes um and then uh and then that summer or that winter sorry that harvest i worked up at santa um what was it called central coast wine services central which coast. is in santa maria yeah. you know yeah. Mm -hmm. I remember. yeah it's like where lane tanner made her wine jaffers joe davis with arcadian 
and Chris Whitcraft, who we were selling fruit to. And Chris Whitcraft brought me in, and I worked for all of them, but I really kind of worked for Chris, and uh, and uh, and Chris like taught me everything, and it was really cool. So he became a mentor, a big influence on my winemaking approach, and so that was cool, right? And then. 99, which was the following harvest, we actually had some fruit, right? And uh, we had barely any fruit, but we had some. And that was like, you know, we had, we, I had convinced my dad really, Greg Brewer and I had approached my dad and said, hey, listen, Ron, like, let's take this wine growing. Like, you're a farmer. You know how to grow grapes. You know what you're doing. Like, but let's, let's keep a little bit of fruit for ourselves. Let's make it in wine. If you really, if you really believe you're, you're that good at what you do, Let's take the next step, you know? And my dad was like, wow, you know, the numbers are different. Like, the accounting is different. There's a lot more capital that goes in. But it's also a quicker way to profitability, I mean, if things go right, you know? And, uh, and so we convinced him to do it. And so the 99 was our first vintage at the winery, which, again, wasn't big at all, but it was an important one. Yeah. What I – one of the things I love about doing this – podcast is uh the dots that start to connect so i had um jasmine hirsch in mm. last week and you know whose name came up chris fucking Whitcraft. Yeah, totally. as and like brian Bat there's another person who like i'm like how more people don't know who chris Whitcraft i know is was is mind-boggling I mean, so basically, you learned how to make Pinot Noir from like Burt Williams, pretty much, because yeah. you know, because he totally. he was Chris's was Chris, he was Chris's mentor, friend, yeah. you know, totally. Um, so that's really cool. So, a couple of young guys, uh, a uh, a um, a former French professor, yeah, <laughs> and a former Manhattan beach bum, yeah, go to the businessman and say, "Hey, we can make this work." Totally. And so. Um, how many? It wasn't small, but how many? How many cases you you guys produce? Um, I think it was like five hundred total, you know. Um, but you know, Greg is also a really smart businessman as well, and um, and he quickly because we you know we built the building, we had the equipment, mm -hmm. right? But then you're making such a small amount, like it doesn't pan pencil out, you know, mathematically. And so he approached um, Doug Braun at Presidio Wines, and. Yep. And basically said, hey, Doug, bring your, like, we'll make your wine for you. Let's custom, custom crush, crush all your stuff at Melville. And so we signed a deal. So it, like, filled the building. We yep. used all the equipment. Like, it, it, it was really, really smart of Greg to, to find a way to make some income just for one year, mm -hmm. right? Just one-year commitment. But along with that whole thing came Mike Bonacorsi. Because Mike and Doug were really, really close. And Mike was the, um, the head wine guy for Wolfgang Puck, Spago, Beverly Hills, and all the other things that Wolfgang touched. And, and Mike was like, I forget exactly what the stats are, but, you know, whatever. I think he was, like, the highest scoring master psalm back in the day. He was, he was very quiet, you know, silent warrior. But, like, the dude's brain worked, you know, in different ways. You know, photographic memory along with just the ability to communicate with people about wine, you know. And so he was a really that was so he was around a lot. I got to know him quite a bit actually, and that was that was a, an amazing kind of influence too. But but not so much as the as a winemaking side because he was learning winemaking. But as far as wine knowledge side and the different villages of you know Burgundy and why certain things taste a certain way. I mean, it was unbelievable and like how like 
lucky was I to be mm -hmm. able to have this mm -hmm. kind of opportunity. Um, so that was cool, yeah. So 99 was the first finish, pretty small. Um, then 2000, you know, we had, you know, a little bit more fruit. The vines were quite young, obviously, but um, that's really where we started to kind of, you know, like take off, if you will, right? I mean, we got some good scores from Parker um, back in the day, and that really helped kind of help build a foundation, or mm -hmm. at least a following. I mean, that was back too, and a couple things, you know, uh, Parker's influence was tremendous, and and that dude, that dude's the man. I don't give a shit what anyone says negatively about that guy, but that guy changed our business in a really positive way. People don't get. I've said this uh, a couple of podcasts, but I'm like, people don't get. Like, if you don't like scores, that's fine, but people need to understand. He pretty much catapulted the the, the particularly California wine industry. Yeah. Um, I don't know where it would be if he hadn't done that. Yeah. Seriously. But and he did it in a way too that I think some people view as you know like bashing you know the, a certain style, but like Robert Parker loved elegant wines as well. He loved balance. He so, loved. It's so funny that people don't. He get loved that. wine. He gave he gave high scores yeah. to wines under thirteen yeah. percent as well. I mean I it's. Know. It, it, it gets it gets lost as these yeah. narratives go around, you know that, and people latch on to them. But you know, the, the, listen, he made wine easier for the American consumer to understand. Totally, you know, I mean, he just did. Like, and people, uh, listen, I'm fifty. I'll be fifty five. All we all I took was tests. It was all about scores. Mm. I was an athlete. I ran track. It was about your time. Like like it, these things. These are markers, yep. right? That we all grew up and understand. So now all of a sudden, you know. What do you want to play t-ball with wine? No, man. <laughs> like, 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 totally. like if someone is looking to invest, like you said, and 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 a lot of the people who bash him don't subscribe, didn't never subscribe to the advocate, and and don't drink those wines. So why are you mad? Because someone's yeah. gonna like, like I know. there's so much wine in the world. I don't think it's mad. I think it's I mean deep shade. Deeper, I would say yeah. shade, throwing shade. Yeah, yeah. There's jealousy. Yeah. There's resentment. Yeah. But like you know what? Like that dude. We're lucky to have had him or have him, yeah. you know, I mean, what he did was amazing and it really helped our business out a lot. So it's e a little easier for me to say, but like, I just want to point out that he, he loved all, all styles of wine. He it really wasn't did. just the one style that yep. people kind of point towards. Yeah. Um, but then, it, but to be fair, <laughs> our style of Pinot Noir back in the day was, was a little yeah, it was bit bigger than bombastic. it is now. Yeah. Yeah. What is this? You know, these are 13, seven, 13, nine. And it's our, you know, our top end right. Pinot Noirs. But anyways, um, yeah, so that's how it all kind of uh, took off for us. And uh, and it was good timing, too. If you remember back in 99 when you were in Santa Barbara, right? You said 99? I arrived, in, I arrived um, like a week before, the week of Halloween. So I got there like the 25th or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's good memory, dude. Yeah. Um, the that was like the dot com world, right? Like yep. people had so much money. Yep. I mean, money was falling out of people's pockets, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it was you could start a brand new brand that no one knows anything about, yep. and then sell it for a hundred bucks a bottle and yep. sell out of it. Yep, it was crazy, right? It's so interesting to think about that time. Um, so uh, we came out of the gates though um, with my dad's uh, vision of over delivering in the bottle at a low the lowest price point we possibly could and at the time again you know people were after the high dollar ones they yeah. they, they thought if you sold a bottle of pinot noir for like 26 bucks which is what we came out yeah. at that there was something wrong with it right right, right. um and i fought my dad on it too you know because I'm, I'm sitting here sweating working hard like digging holes and getting this thing established and i'm like we need to charge more than 26 dollars and he was like nope 
and I would pound my fist on the table <laughs> like you what are you doing you know you're supposed to be the smart businessman <laughs> and uh it turns out he was totally right you know and now that same bottle over the course of 26 years has moved up to 44 yeah but that's Typical. But at 44 bucks, right. that wine still smokes and it, it delivers, it over delivers, right? And mm. that's my dad's whole mantra. You know, take the ego out of this, like really focus in on over delivering a, an experience, you know? Which is interesting. And, and, and how do you know which wines over deliver? Hopefully you have a critic you trust or a wine writer you trust. And they're, they're you know, uh, because it's e easy to get overlooked, you know? Everything you said was, I, I agree, it was so spot on about the, you know, 99 just people just coming out the box, expensive wines, just beautiful label, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, and to this day, I tell people one of the trickiest categories of wine is the uh, 25 to 65 range in California mm -hmm. because unless you know the winemaker or the vineyard, like, like, it'll have a cool label, but like, there's a wide range of quality in there. There's some that are over delivering, but there's a lot that kind of, in my opinion, underperform. Yeah. It's a, it's a tricky, but that's when it comes in knowing. Oh, Melville, Santa Rita Hills, surrounding Babbitt. Like you have, there's things you need to know. Or, or okay, Chad Melville's winemaker. He worked with Greg Brewer and Bruce McGuire and, and uh, Chris Whitcraft. Like when you know, begin to know these things, you're like, no, I'm going with that bottle because, yeah. you know, I know who, what's behind it. Totally. Um, so. I've tasted these two, and I don't know if I like one more. I can, you know, I obviously that's just how, I'm, as an American, we're talking about being American. Like I'm trained, like, but I'm I'm still I'm going back and forth with them. Good, kind of. What's the you should? And what's the difference between these two vineyard sites? You, you, you have your terraces, and you have your uh, block. Your yeah, that's terraces and block M. Block I think M. that um, you know, there's there's some really small differences. You know, there's a lot of a lot more similarities. That's um, what I was getting because like yeah. The terraces, which we've put, has, has opened up more, and now it's tasting more like like the Block M, which you know we just tasted before. But this, you know, we tasted that one over an hour ago, and I'm like, oh, that, I'm getting now, I'm getting that fennel again, and I'm getting yeah. you know, that silkiness. So it's very interesting. As the vineyard stands, you know, Block, well, the terrace is kind of it's a five acre piece, and it wraps around you know this like little peninsula, if you will, that sticks out. Um, and it faces due west, uh, so it gets pounded by the cold mm -hmm. Pacific Ocean wind. Um, and it's obviously terrace, so there's a different elevation for each row. And so there's a, a dramatic impact that the wind has on kind of devigorizing this site, right? It also has five different clones, um, two of which are old school um, heritage selections like Mount Eden and Swan. And then the other three are the Dijon 115, 667, 777. So that that plays a role, the clones do. Uh, for me, it's a little bit lower on the list of factors, but mm -hmm. it's definitely on the list. Um, and it's this clay soil, right? It kind of makes sense that it would be clay because it's a hillside, right? Otherwise it would erode, right, mm -hmm. and over time. Um, and it's a lot of like calcareous chunks, a lot of diatomaceous earth there, right? So that's, it's really a unique set of circumstances. The magic is outside, right? The magic is this climate, it's the soil, it's the sun, it's the cold temperatures. It's this, um, you know, uh, elevation, gravitational pull, you know, really devigorizing. I mean, you look at the canopy, the canes are, are pretty, I mean, they, I don't want to say they're weak, but they're like, they're not vigorous. They're not full of energy, right? And so the vines are working <coughs> really hard, right? Like 
a track star, right? Like if you're a sprinter, you know, you're training, you're eating well, you're sleeping well, you're, you're, you're developing your body to get the most aerodynamic mm -hmm. and all those things, right? So these vines are like that. They're lean, like they're, they're strong, they're, they're fighting, you know, they're exercising, you know, more than the average vine, right? And so the result is a, it, it produces a smaller berry, a smaller cluster, really intense fruit. Whereas M is the top of the hill. And it's a little different clonal makeup. It's planted north to south. But there's a hard pan underneath the topsoil. And the hard pan is um, adding to the stress in a different way, but adding to it um, that the roots are having a harder time to penetrate and really kind of, you know, search after the, the nutrients. Um, the also gets pounded by the wind. And again, because it's a peninsula, it has gravitational pull on three sides. So again, you have vines that are devigorized, right? They're producing a smaller berry, a smaller cluster, but for, you know, slightly different reasons. Mm -hmm. In terms of the wine or the wines, you know, I think that the different clonal makeup and I think that the, the more calcareous nature of the soil um, brings out a heightened, more pretty, lifted aromatic. Um, and then... Um, it delivers a lot of acidity, like a lot of freshness. Both of them do. Yeah. Um, and then they both deliver a lot of um, like stuffing, a lot of weight, a lot of concentration. But then again, they break off. They're a little bit different in that um, ter uh, terraces doesn't have quite as much of the like the phenolic ripeness, right? It's not quite as like grippy as the block M is. So for me, M is darker fruited, lower rumble, more bassier tones rather mm -hmm. than like the lifted, you know, kind of high pitchy tones. Um, and then it also block M is just like darker fruited and more like low rumble, more grippy. Got it. So what do you think? <clears throat> I would. Uh, <clears throat> so one is not better than the other. No. Right. And 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 I try I try to stress. I hope I say it enough that like um, what I just heard was baseball. They they are they're representative of where they're grown mm -hmm. inside of your state, and. Um, there is no better, um, although at some point I might like one better, but it's not that it's it's not better and like it won the Super Bowl. It's just like right. it's more pleasing to my palate this yeah. time. And I tell people, you know, you'll have wines. Listen, I hate pyrazine, so a good Loire Valley Cab Franc is going to have so much pyrazine. It's going to be bell pepper. And I love that it is representative where it's grown, but it's just not my flavors that I like enjoy, Fair. but I don't knock the wine. Yep. I appreciate that. that. That's doing what it's supposed to do. Yep. I happen to love this for me. These are wines that like really show the beauty of California where um, you get ripe fruit, but because of the soil, the acids there. Um, and, and, you know, um, they're both delicious in their own right. I do agree. The M is a little bit more darker fruited. The, uh, the terraces, it's got that, that, pomegranate you know that you know um yeah, cranberry those those tartar red yeah, fruits for sure you know whereas you're getting you're getting a little more of that that dark black cherry a little hint at some uh you know uh, raspberry little 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 darker fruits in the other one i'm listening to you talk man and i'm like there's so much passion there and your dad went back to Davis. Did you take any classes at any like you know uh, what's the what's the college in Santa Maria that has classes? Right? Oh, Alan Hancock. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, did, I mean, or did you just pick up books and just learn from like people like 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 uh, Chris or you know you know you learn all of the above. Yeah. And then you add to that travel, 
to wine regions and go look at vineyards and and when I go um you know to France or South Africa or Australia or New Zealand um even Italy and whatever like I'm always interested in going out to the vineyard with the wine grower right I want to learn what they see out here like what what about this site that makes it magical how is it that this raw ingredient helps you like translate it into this liquid, you know? And so it's not about like just traveling to go taste, you know, oftentimes when I go to Burgundy or the Rhone, you know, they, I think what's normal is when you arrive there, they just take you to the cellar to taste barrels, which is fantastic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I always make it clear up front, like, Hey, could we go out to the vineyard first? And then if there's time we can go taste barrels, absolutely want to taste, but I'm more interested in learning. So there's the travel, inquisitive nature. Mm -hmm. um, I did go back to Davis actually and did like a lot of the um, kind of weekend warrior classes. Mm -hmm. So it'd be like all day Saturday, all day Sunday, like chemistry or there's one that I forget what it's called. It's like, I think it's called sensory evaluation or something. It was brilliant. I took that early on and that was like mind blowing in terms of like connecting dots. They, you know, they would, they would blind taste you on um, not just wine, but like certain, they would add certain, like, you know, you get those tasting kits yeah, online or something. Kumquat. What the fuck yeah. is a quince? Yeah. <laughs> All that shit, right? Totally. Yeah. It basically just gives you the a lexicon, right? And right. like that, that, um, the color aroma wheel or whatever, right? Yes. Um, so I did a lot of that. And then, um, and then working for other people. I mean, I'm, I'm a better learner on, you know, like the practical side. Like yeah. I would rather go learn how to fly fish on the river with a fly rod with all the tools than, than to learn it in a classroom. You don't you know? learn, I, you don't learn actually learn in a classroom. I don't, but some people do, you know? No, no, listen, no, I'll, 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 I'll put this to bed once <laughs> and for all. Okay, how old were you when you learned how to tie your shoes? Well, yeah. I Three, four? Yeah. Did your mom give you a book and say, read this and you know how to tie your shoes? Mm -mm. All real learning, you have to use your hands. Like you can study, but learning, you have to use your hands. Definitely. You know, like, like, you could read a book on how to build a house, but until you fuck up the frame yep. and take the hammer and bust it, like you, like, and I love to read. I have this scholar thing, but like, I, I was like, nobody gives you a book or a video. Here, could watch this video on YouTube and I want you to learn how to tie your shoe. That's yeah. not how it works. No. <laughs> you gotta go and you gotta cry. Maybe you cry, I can't do oh. it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but what that does, you have to, like for me, like, my my actual hands-on learning informs me wanting to go back and pick up some theories and go play around with them. That's kind of how I, you know, I mean, yeah. see if this works, right? Totally. But yeah, so it's a combination, right? Yeah. And it's a balance. And some people, certain categories of learning are, you know, better, or easier, or whatever. I, know, but I go back to I love cliches. Those who can't do teach, right? If you can fucking do that shit, go do that shit, right? Yeah. But I, the flip side of that, since I, I digress, like my wife, we're watching Super Bowl. My wife was like, "How many of these guys played football?" I'm like. All of them play football, but they play like a Division three school. Right? Uh, oh, like the analyst? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, no, I'm the analyst. The coach, a lot of the coaches oh, now. right, right. They play like, you know, like like Andy Reid, one of the great, like he, he played at a community college, was going to go to Stanford, got hurt, so he didn't go to Stanford, right? But uh -huh. like, but Bill Belichick went to Wesleyan. He didn't go to a Division one powerhouse. Yeah. They played the sport, but then again, it's the mind, you know. You know, so it is, it, it, like everything, to answer your point, everything is a combination of both. Ooh. 100%. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> I read in the intro something about you have this relentless commitment to honoring uh, technique and the land. Where does that come from? 
Um, I think that's like, it's based off of my connection to mother nature. I think growing up um, on the ocean, you know, again, whatever, I'm lucky. I was, you know, right place at the right time, but to have, you know, to see a sunset on the ocean, like consistently and hear the ocean and feel the salt in your lips, you know, because you've been in the water for two and a half hours and like, there's a connection to the power of the waves, the energy of the ocean was really like my first, like real kind of get your head around this mother nature spirit, right? This mm -hmm. energy. And then I was lucky. Um, my parents uh, loved to camp um, in high school. One of my good buddies loved a backpack. And so we started going backpacking in the Sierras and Wow. Then there was a whole mountain connection and, a, you know, the dark of the night stars, shooting stars, like that whole connection, fly fishing, like all this. Just Mother Nature has been a big part of, of who I or how I connect. Right. And um, and so the I think that that's where that that the commitment comes from is is like I feel like what I do is, is such a privilege, you know, like to be able to work with her outside. Like I'm always like, thank you. Like how like she's in charge out there, right? There's no doubt about it. Like probably 80% of what happens outside is her doing the wind, the sun, like the, the climate, the rain, all that stuff, right? But I feel like she also uh, allows, you know, maybe 20%, right, for you to give a voice or to give a say, to adjust nutrients, you know, perhaps irrigate a certain way or whatever. But like, it's that respect, you know, to, the, to that really powerful energy that drives me, you know? So I feel like, you know, one day I'm not gonna be making wine at Melville, right? And, but the vineyard is still gonna be producing some badass fruit, right? And so that, that is a, that's a good check-in. You know, I'm pretty insignificant in the big picture, right? And that, it's this power of Mother Nature, the connection to that, what, you know, what she controls and respecting it. Totally get that. Um, <clears throat> you had mentioned earlier and what you just said sparked it for me was um, you won't be making wine someday. You said, so you have two children? I had two kids, yeah. Okay, and well, your daughter uh, is in college, and she's studying like business manager, right? Yeah. Okay, and now is that with an eye on coming to work uh, with her dad or just an interest of hers? You know, I, this is it's a, this is a good, really good question. And the, the thing is, um, the short answer is, you know, we don't know, but does she... I mean, she's a freshman in college now, right? So now I think her friends are like, whoa, your dad's a winemaker? Like, like, oh, that's, that's pretty really cool. cool. Can we get some wine? <laughs> yeah. you know? um, so she's, th listen, they, there's an opportunity for them, but the only way it's going to work is if they have the passion. You sure. know, the only thing that's going to keep the business going in the right direction is that the, the two of them or either one of them really um, has that that love and a passion for the the business it could be you know the marketing side of the business it could be the sales side of the business it could be the farming side of the business whatever it is it doesn't matter but they have to love it it's, there's no freebies there's no giveaways like here you you take over this now i hope though that they do see that right and they do develop that because if they do or they you know they they have a, a crazy opportunity in front of them you know but um you know, if they don't, I mean, I hope to be around for a long time. Sure. And I, I see myself, you know, walking vineyards like when I'm 85 years yeah, old, yeah, you know, yeah. you know, checking in on the winemaking, tasting barrels, telling everybody what to do. Right. But like, 
I don't see myself going anywhere. You know, I love what I do. I'm lucky. You know, if I've got like a really good situation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple reasons, but, but I remember like one of the, and what you said is again, I, I agree with, um, and I don't agree with everything you say. I'm not, I'm not I'm just saying, but like, I don't want people like, I'm not a yes man. Right. I'm talking like I was saddened when Calera got sold. Yeah. Jess Jensen, pioneer, California Pinot Noir. These kids didn't want anything. They wanted nothing to do with the business. Yeah. And you and 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 he was so passionate. But what that's why I agree with. They have to have their own passion for it. Otherwise, totally. it's not going to work. You yeah. Know? There's like a a saying out there, and I'm probably going to butcher it, but it's like you know the first generation has the idea, the second generation like builds it, and then the third generation like ruins it. You yeah. know. Yeah. There's something like that, right? Yeah. And it kind of makes sense just because. You know, I was lucky to kind of fall in love with this um, through my dad, right? But just because I've done that doesn't mean my mm-hmm. kids will, right? And so, and I, I don't want to put this on them. It, it shouldn't be a burden for them. All right, so the M now is yeah, it's plumping up. Or MJ. Yes. Um, you know, it's funny is MJ, um, the MJ. Not that you're like not the MJ, but Michael Jordan MJ. He's not the MJ. I'll tell you why. <laughs> He loves this wine, Block M. That's so. That's great. <laughs> but I tell people, I had Isaiah Thomas. I was like, I was like, um, you're, what, you're making the argument that you're the MJ. Yeah, because his mother calls him Michael. Mm. She don't, my name, my, MJ, comes from Marvin John because my father's name was Marvin. My mother called me MJ. His mom didn't call him MJ, even when he was on commercials. Michael, you're right. you bet. She called him. She Michael. called him Michael. Michael Jackson. His mother called him Michael. Mm. I'm an actual MJ. That's the world giving you a mm. name. At least in, in my part of black community, you're what your mama call you. And my mama called me MJ. <laughs> How old is Michael Jordan? Um, Are you before or after him? I think he might be a few years older than me. Yeah, he's a few years older than me. Like five years older than me, so. So he might have, like, the trademark. Then. Yeah, I mean, he's got a trademark. Obviously, he's got a trademark. I don't even know if he has a trademark. He's got the Jumpman trademark. But anyway. <laughs> um, so he, because, yes, uh, if you guys don't know, for years, uh, the, uh, he would hang out. He'd do a basketball camp in Santa Barbara, so he's very, very well known in the area. So obviously, he's had your wines and yeah. kind of fell in love with them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he'd probably pair a nice cigar with this. He would R- yeah. ruin all the yeah. <laughs> complexities. <laughs> this is a while ago, but he, he, like I think with, through his restaurant in Chicago, he wanted like I don't know, ten cases of it or something, right. and it got back to me that he actually wanted the ten cases, but at a discount. And I'm like, come on. You're a billionaire, bro. <laughs> really? I'm a small family operation, I know, dude. dude. Dude, that's a that's that other big company that has deals on their lines yeah, on ten, yeah. man. Like, I can't afford to do can't that, do that, bro. Because you, it, it, like, you can't sell this shit. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, uh, I don't need to. <laughs> do, do they give you a discount at, at the uh, Bentley op, uh, the store? No, they give a discount on your Louis Vuitton uh, shoes. No, yeah. okay, so don't ask me for a yeah. discount. <laughs> It's probably someone who like manages his, you know, whatever <coughs> director of operations yeah. or something, right? Yeah. That just naturally like, oh, yeah. we're gonna buy ten. Like, yeah. we should get a discount, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's a great story. All right, man. So we we got a few minutes left. A couple more things uh, that are are, are quasi structured. Uh, I like to play this game. FMK, fuck, marry, kill. Um, three grapes. You get to fuck one, you get to marry one, and the other one, you, you got to break up. You can't see it no more. Ready? All right. So your grapes are Pinot Noir, Nebbiolo, and Syrah. Ooh. 
Who you fucking, who you marrying, who you killing? <laughs> oh my god. Um I mean You gotta marry Pete on the wine. Yeah, I know. That's the thing, but like I know this, this I love this when I say people get, they have to show your wine making ass when you ask this guy like, yeah. like but I really love Nebbiola. <laughs> like, like, I like, really I love Nebbiola yeah. and I really fucking love Syrah too. <laughs> but like I guess maybe I would kill Nebbiolo, even though my first instinct was marry it. Yeah, yeah. But I guess I'd have to kill it because it's so, you know, acidic and so tannic. When I think of this, I think of like drinking Nebbiolo too young and it kills your mouth, right? Now, having said that, I love Nebbiolo and I respect it and I don't grow it or make it, but I love it. Yeah. But I guess I would have to kill that one just because I can't imagine killing Syrah or Pinot Noir. Yeah. Um, as far as marrying, I guess, you know, I mean, the, uh, the, my first instinct is Pinot Noir, but I can make a strong argument for Syrah. I love Syrah, and uh, I think that it's a specific type. It's a cold climate Syrah. Yeah, it's like uh, uh, Commends to Dreams makes a nice, really cool climate one. 13, 9, 14, 1, but load all that black fruit. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's like the black olive, the, the yep. violets, the lavender, the white pepper, the... The game, yeah. the meat, yeah, but yes. It's and then the, the acidity, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but I guess I guess I would marry I would marry Pinot Noir just because I think, again, that's kind of where you land, right? Yep. Like, that's the most complex, it's the most mesmerizing, layered, you know, stimulating of, of all. And I guess that's who you would want, or I would want to marry. Yeah. Um, what are you most excited for about the future? And this doesn't even have to be the winery. It could be like, yo, man, we just passed this legend. I mean, whatever you most excited Oh, about. yeah. I mean, that's really, I mean, I hope that, like, I hope that we find a leader in this community country that can, like, bring people, like, together and get on the same page and, like, work in a way, or a, a, a leader that's, inspiring you know like someone who you really look up to and you're proud that represents you and who you believe in and they're making yeah listen i i get it like it's a you know what we, we could be talking about the president of the united states we could talk be talking about like your county supervisor exactly. whatever it is it's yep. just someone who who is inspiring you know and i think that you know for a large part we've been missing that and and it's um in some cases it's you know embarrassing but like but I, I hope for that, you know, I don't, I don't really see it, you know, yeah. I hope for it. I'm an optimist, but like, man, if we could get someone like that, you know, like someone who could really like bring this, this world or at least our country back together and, and have a focus and a plan and whatever, like be inspired by, that would be awesome. Right on. And what about you? Uh, what am I most excited about for the future? Oh, that is a great question. Um, I mean, I think that wine-wise, we're making, like as an industry, we're oh, yeah, making yeah, better yeah, wines yeah. today than we've ever made before. There's th the future there is bright. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And it's your question. I know. Will you just complimented I'm, I'm, yourself I'm, on your own question? I'm the great question asker, <laughs> not the great question answerer. Well. Um, I'm, I'm excited. I think this goes to, I think we talked about it. You asked, I'd let you throw a question back at me uh, when we were doing the warm up. Um, I'm excited to um, have clarity on 
what I'm doing in life right now. And, and, and that actually provides me a future, right? So um, I, I tell people I, I, I have a podcast because I'm a total fuck up. Um, but I'm not fucking up anymore. Dude, you kill. I do. I love so, your style. I love what you do. Yeah. I love your approach. You know, you break it down. Like you got, you got something cool going here. Really. Thank you. But it's a mal. It's a literally. I uh, want to shout out to, and it's that's so great. We're on Valentine's Day recording this, and I don't normally date the episodes because it's going to be out like God, it might be eight weeks. But I had last year on this date, I released the article, uh, released the podcast with. Uh, Dorothy Gator and John Brecker, Dottie and John, oh, yeah. they're amazing. And afterwards, they were like, oh, my God, you're such a great interviewer, blah, blah, blah. And they did an interview on me, and their article was like packing uh, 50 lives in a 54 years. But it was all that fucking up that is how I can sit down and know a little bit about this, and we can and go down a tangent with people. And 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 what you said before, just and, – and this is MJ, I, you know, reason why – Started going by MJ as my mom passed away four years ago, and and I knew I, no no one ever called me MJ again, and this is her. She was so great with people. I I, I I'm okay with people. <laughs> She's she was great. Everybody loved her, nice. and my and she was such an incredible personality that that this like this is all Alma was my mother's name, which means soul. This is all Alma. So so yeah, it's exciting. That's she would really love cool. this. Except all the cursing, she'd be like, well, <laughs> she, she would love all of it except the cursing. <laughs> so thank you for asking me that. And uh, one last question, and knowing what I know about you now, there may or may not be, but like, you kind of grew up with wine. But what was wh when did you have a bottle of wine? You're like, I really. When did you get the wine thing? Was there a bottle that rocked your world, or you know, is there, is there or or do, what's a memorable bottle for you? I mean, it's a it's a a question that was asked to me recently too. I know it's. it's really hard to get my head around like a, a particular bottle of wine um, just because uh, I don't know I'm not like a you know as big of a deadhead as I am I'm not like a detail guy like I don't remember like what song they played well, you, didn't, you the weren't October the guy with all the set lists of 1977 you know like yeah. I just it's just not my thing but um, but there was a moment though that I remember that really connected like my mind just was blown and that was uh, out of college, we were up in um, Sonoma tasting with a bunch of college friends, and all of a sudden, wine tasting was cool. This is back in the day, too. Remember when you go to a winery and you could taste for free? Like yeah. Like the tastings for free? Yeah. Um, anyways, we were there, and uh, it was Dry Creek Vineyards up in Sonoma, and the winemaker there is Larry Levine, or was Larry Levine, and Larry said to myself and my friends like hey come in the back i want to taste you on some things and we're like what okay and so we go back there he pulls up some barrels and Dips he, the wine thief, and yeah. he dipped the thief into the melville vineyard uh cabernet and he gave us all a little some of it and he started talking about the vineyard you know and i was just like oh my god larry like now all this makes sense like sure. it wasn't just farming anymore it wasn't just driving a tractor dusty hot sweaty sticky harvest pruning you know all that stuff that i wasn't really into so much at the time because i was too young to appreciate it right but um but now it like it made sense all that hard work had paid off and i was like wow like this is so cool i like i this is what i want to do the rest of my life so it was that moment it wasn't necessarily a bottle of wine that you know i love that yeah i love that thanks Chad, man, thank you so much for coming in. This is awesome. Tell people where they can find you, how they can be a part of what you're doing at Melville. 
millvillewinery.com is a great place uh, to learn more. We've got extensive website with whatever clonal material information i mean there's all sorts of all the stuff. shit we didn't talk about during the podcast <laughs> but no it's a good i mean whatever we're not i mean we're farmers you know we're wine growers we're not marketers we're not website designers and all that kind of stuff we try i mean we try to keep up but but that's a good place and then you know we're an hour north of santa barbara right where you come visit the winery we're open every day and then we also have a satellite tasting room in the funk zone in santa barbara nice. right right up from yep. the pier so that's a great place to go to, but it's not, you know, you don't get to see the vineyards. You don't get to smell the, you know, the, the soil, the, the, the Santa Rita air. Yeah. The Santa yeah. Rita air. Yeah, um, but that's it. And then, you know, we're in like, f I don't know, 15 different States, you know, Japan, Sweden, London, or UK. Um, we don't make a ton of wine, you know, it, it's about less than, uh, 11,000 cases, but so we're not distributed everywhere, but, um, but you'll find us in wine merchants, you know, high-end wine merchants and, and a lot of restaurants. And for all you listeners out there, don't forget to check out the show notes for each episode. That's where you'll find info on the wine we drink. I'll put a link to the website, Chad's socials, Chad's yeah, socials and whatever. And until the next time, cheers to all my mavericks, philosophers, deep thinkers, and all you wine drinkers. It's your boy, MJ. Peace. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list. <laughs>